Crown Point. Wow, that came on strong. Good morning. <laughs> All right, it is a beautiful day. It is Memorial Day weekend. We hope that you will be able to take the time to remember those who have served our country and fallen in the line of duty. But uh, this morning, we are here to worship the one true King. Would you stand with us as we sing Victory in Jesus? Be 
Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. As Andrew has already alluded to, this weekend, but more, more specifically, probably tomorrow, is Memorial Day. And I wanted to take a moment and um, just share a, a, a true life biblical principle uh, from the Bible that we can do with this Memorial Day. I've been co-facilitating Grief Share on Thursday nights with Peggy for several sessions now. And this Thursday night, we covered, it's our last, um, uh, last one, our 13th week. And I, I, we were able to share from Scripture that dovetails perfectly with Memorial Day. And the Scripture is John chapter 16, verse 33. I'm just going to read this one verse and make some application. Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The simple application for us, as it relates to the passing of a loved one, is this. Conflict and peace can coexist. Conflict and peace can coexist. We see it here. You may think, well, I don't want the conflict at all. Jesus says here, and by the way, the whole subheading in the context of what he's talking about here is how that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Listen to that. But you, in this world, you will have tribulation. Well, we know that the passing of a loved one can definitely leave a, a, a hole in your heart. It hurts. We know that. And um, time doesn't heal. Time plus the Lord heals. But I wanted to share some things that uh, in my house that um, help to honor Memorial Day, but more, more specifically the people that are closest to us. Several um, decades ago, um, Memorial Day, it used to be known as Decoration Day back in the Civil War era. And, um, but it became a... Uh, it became a uh, Memorial Day in not just several decades ago. But the point of it is, how do we honor people um, and not always relive the grief? And I have these uh, items. So they were my dad's. I'm not, I don't hold these up to say my dad was better than your dad. But these are in a, a case right under our, our TV that uh, I look at periodically time to time. And it's a, it's a, it's a remembrance. It brings a smile on my face. One, my dad was in the military, he was in the army, and um, this was his actual shirt that he wore. Tom, feel that shirt. I would like to wear that on stage for a minute. That's wool. So it's an old wool, wool shirt that he wore, and it has his uh, uh, different things on it. And he was, uh, most, the stories I remember the most is that he was an MP, military police. So... Uh, my dad was about like me in build, not a very big guy, but what helped uh, him in his being a military police actually was what he carried around. It would be this, and the stories that he used to tell um, is that he was, again, about my size, not a very big guy, but sometimes he'd have to go into certain places, and when people were being disorderly, and he would, uh, he would go in first and kind of hey, straighten up, knock it off, and they would kind of size him up, and it wouldn't, contention, a conflict was about ready to happen, and then his 
partner would come in because he always traveled in twos and his partner was about the size of that door over there. So between the, this stick and his partner, he didn't have much trouble in his military policing career. I share these things for you. For you. Make sure that this weekend, tomorrow, isn't about a grill out. You, you can grill out or pool part and all that stuff. That's okay to do. But make sure you're teaching our kids. We're remembering those, not just military, but even people in your life that um, find a way of honoring their name. Let me give you another example of that. I've become very close with Peggy Taylor over the, the, the time we spent in Grief Share. And I know uh, this is private information, and I'm going to share it publicly. And she probably wouldn't want me doing it. That's why I'm doing it. Bob, her dad, he would go around to many, um, several cemeteries and plots and make sure they were honorable to the people that he, it was close to him. And he asked that this carry on. Peggy, along with Angie, actually yesterday, they went to several cemeteries, a lot of cemeteries, and cleaned and made presentable up to 40 plots. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. But it's coming from the heart. It's a way of honoring and still having peace at the same time as the Lord's talking about. You're honoring. There's, the, there's a hardship of people leaving, but there's a peace that comes, especially when they know Christ. So let this truth, I'm speaking to the church now, let this truth resonate in your heart. Let it resonate tomorrow as you gather together. Make a way of honoring, but also realizing that there's peace in him. Amen? Amen. Make, today, uh, make tomorrow a special day. Let's open in a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving us. The praise team this morning as they're going to lead us in song that we would, they're not here to perform, they're here to lead. I pray that we would be engaged, thinking about the lyrics, perhaps even from our heart feeling the song as it's lifted unto you. So let today be a special day. Let your word be uh, read correctly, interpreted correctly, and proclaimed correctly. That our lives would correctly be aligned with you. Thank you, Christ, for being our Savior. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing a work that only you can do. I lift this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, church, stand one more time. As we finish worshiping our Lord with the last two songs this morning, From the Inside Out.
offer you our worship this morning, Lord, and worship is not about the peripheral things that surround us, lifting up your name and singing. It's not about the notes that we hit. It's not about the stage presence that we give, Lord. It is about you and your righteousness, your holiness, God, who you are, Lord Jesus, what you have done for us. That is what we want our times of worship to be here at our church. God, and I pray that you would accept those for praise of your people, Lord, from pure hearts as they prepared themselves, Lord, to come and be here and just be with other believers and lift you up, Lord, more than anything, God. May you be praised from what is said and done here at our church and as a body of Christ, Lord, that you would be glorified. Now, Lord, would you be glorified as your word is read and proclaimed, God, would your spirit work in our hearts and our lives be changed because we've met with the King in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You may have noticed the average age of our praise team has decreased this week with Caitlin's mini-me, Taylor Beasley, on the bass today. So thank you very much, Taylor, for playing. Good job. Very good job. The <clears throat> continuation of Scripture today will be in the book of John. I'll tell you about that in just a moment, John chapter 9. But I did want to take this time. Uh, we've had a lot of activity uh, directly related to church events, but also our church family. Uh, graduations are going on all over the place and birthdays are happening. That only means one thing. We're all getting just a little older. But uh, yesterday was a very monumental day for one Stella Hiltbrandt. Stella's right there in the middle. It's a happy birthday for Stella. I had talked with her last night, and uh, now, Stella, I'm usually not supposed to say the lady's birth, you know, how, how old you are, am I allowed to say? Doesn't matter. Stella turned 90 yesterday, 90 yesterday, so 
she said she got about a hundred cards from friends, family, church family. In fact, I got a picture of them up all on the wall or, or so, or pe people contacted. So she wanted, uh, asked if I would thank the church publicly so she wouldn't have to go to a hundred different people and, uh, and do just that. But Stella, thank you so much for uh, your, your heart, your demeanor. You're always smiling. You're encouraging. Um, thank you. Uh, and, and happy birthday. Somebody take her out to eat again. John chapter 9 is where I'm going to ask you to turn this morning. John chapter 9. We had been going through, uh, well we are still doing it. We're going through the book of John on Sunday nights on Facebook Live, which we're doing tonight. We're going to be on Facebook Live, 7 o'clock, 7, 8 tonight. Um, but, and I can't put this down. I'm trying to save this for Sunday nights. And every time I start preparing for it, I, um, well, I just get animated and worked up. And, and I want to share, because I'm seeing these principles apply. Remember, in John chapter 9, this is not an, an, a story. It's an event that happened to this person, an event of how uh, a man that was born blind received his sight. And we've already kind of covered up to the point where he received his sight. Now comes the, the aftermath and the application thereof. But also remember this. We've learned this, and it's really coming uh, to the forefront. Faithfully, consistently, each chapter we move along in the book of John. Jesus' main theme thus far is about his deity, his deity, his divine nature. He is God. That, that's, and that's, I mean, there's other things going on, but it keeps coming back to that from event to event to event. And as, as he interacts with all these people. So I was trying to figure out how to start this morning because we're really going to start in verse 26. As rare, we're really uh, John chapter 9, verse 26. But you need, um, I'm going to share in part to get us up to this point that there was a man who was born blind. Um, and the, the people came to him, and they asked, they said, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? And um, it's probably easier for me just to read this, but I want you to be engaged as I'm reading this. Again, I'm not going to be able to get us go through every, every line, but I need you to understand the storyline, the event line of what happened. So let's look in verse 1. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Ooh, God's getting ready to do something in this man's life. What we would look at and say it's a tragedy, it's a disability, it's... um." On and on and on, and God's saying this thing is happening so that the works of God can be revealed in him. You may think, well, that's a mean God that would make somebody at a disadvantage to make, him, make God look good. No, no, he get, you get to be a part of what God's up to. So when things are happening to you in your life, don't be so quick to boo-hoo God. Don't be so quick to blame God. He's, especially for the believer, he's up to something in your life. That's a promise from the word. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming 
when no one, no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He had shared that a couple chapters earlier once again. Verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground, he made the clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So we went over that in great detail on a Sunday night on Facebook. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He came back seeing. What was the first thing he saw? Oh, we like to romanticize about that. But does it matter? He had never seen anything ever. He could have seen something for the first time that we would look at and go, oh. To him, it was beautiful. He had, first time he'd ever seen. He came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen the, that, he was, that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, It is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. I'm that guy is what he's pointing out. Verse 10. Therefore, they said to him, how, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go wash in a pool of Siloam and what? Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So far, this guy is all he knows is something miraculous happened in his life. And he's getting squeezed by, you know, these things are bugging me. He's getting squeezed by the religious elite. They're wanting to know not so much the who, but the why, the where, the how. Why would they be inquisitive about that? And why are they asking? They're just drilling down on this guy. Verse 13. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees, the religious elite. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes, I and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. Remember verse 16 when we move forward. Remember verse 16, everything they're bringing up is going to come back and be answered and kind of answered directly and with a little bit of sarcasm. Holy sarcasm is what I like to call it. My wife says I'm a very sarcastic person. I bought a shirt for somebody who is my mentor on being sarcastic. And the shirt goes, next sarcastic comment coming in three, two, one. I wanted that shirt so bad for myself, but it's not good PR for a pastor to wear a shirt that says something like that. But watch what happens as this, remember verse 16, um, therefore some of the Pharisees said he's not from God. Others said, how can a man, he's a sinner. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind received, and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? <clears throat> How then does he see? His parents answered and said, we, we know that he is our son. You know, that's a good point to start right there. We know that he's our son. But man, are they backpedaling real quick to get away from this situation. They don't want to be in the hot seat because they know what's fixing to happen. They know what's about to happen, 
and they don't want it to happen to them, but man, did they backpedal. We will verify that that's our son, but he's going to have to start speaking for his own here. Verse 21, but by what means he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things. Why? Because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he, is, he was Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue. The parents chose fear over their son. They were afraid. Let that sink in a little bit. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, <clears throat> Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and said to him, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not, or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, I now see. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. As we study the Bible, we go to the Bible to know God. That's why we do it. That's our main reason. But I once was blind, now I see. I don't have all the answers, is what this young man is saying. I don't have it all figured out, but you can't, I'm not going to deny this fact. I once was blind, and now I see. And that's where I want us to pick up this morning, is in verse 26. So we got the narrative. Are you with me? Say, uh-huh. All right, here we go. Verse 26, they couldn't get him to deny this miracle. Look in verse 26. Then they said to him again, again, they're, they're drilling down. What did, he, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He already answered the question, but they want to drill down again. He would not deny the miracle. How could he? How could he deny the miracle? There's no way possible for him to even do it. So they inquired about what manner he was healed which is actually a repeat of verse 15. Go back to 15. Look in 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received sight, received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and he washed and I now see. So he already answered the question. And he, that's what he says actually in verse 27. But here's, but here's the bigger point. In verse 26, when they asked the question again, What's the purpose of that? To get him to retell that story, hopefully to get a varying account. Find a conflict. Tell it again. Let's see if we can't pick up on a little nuance on something you said or a different word that you used that may change the narrative. Discrediting the testimony. But look in verse 27. Here comes a little bit of sarcasm. And he answered them, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? There, there is some, uh, uh, just a touch of sarcasm there. But this man is annoyed. They're, he's annoyed because they're drilling down on something that's peripheral to, to what just happened. Only a deity with divine nature can do what just happened. Only Christ. Only a miracle, the miracle man, could do what just happened. He's annoyed, and he already told them. He wants to move on from all that petty stuff, although it's really not that petty when you think about it. But they didn't like the answer. Oh, don't let the facts get in the way of a good theory. They didn't like the answer. 
There's been times in my life when I have had my mind made up on something and I didn't like the answer. But you know what I get convicted about? Not pursuing truth. Just pursue truth. and let, Pursue truth and watch how everything is kind of seems to melt away sometimes. All the drama, conflict, just kind of melts away if you'll pursue truth and let it fall where it falls. But I love verse 27. Do you also want to become his disciple or his follower? Which is indicating that this man is now following Jesus Christ. He knew simply by the line of questioning that they hated Jesus. Now we know this from studying the first eight chapters. Because they were asking how, not the who. They already knew the who. They wanted the how so they could discredit Here's a little practical life application. Sometimes it's hard to know when. It's hard to know where that line is. When people keep pushing questions about God with, um, with frivolous or even blasphemous intent. Yeah, so here's what I'm talking about. And then we're going to look at Proverbs 26.5. I'm going to have them put that on the screen. Proverbs 26.5. How do we know we're in a dialogue with somebody or somebody comes to you and they're asking you a question about Cross Point Baptist Church or asking you a question about God. They're asking you a question about Jesus Christ or they're watching these mega churches and these big pastors that are falling and, and they're asking you questions. How do you know when to engage in those and, and when to back off? That's where this man finds himself right here. He finds himself, they're drilling down on questions and he knows or knew of He's, he's admitting now I'm, I'm one of his followers. How do you know when to keep pushing and, and having a dialogue and when not to? Look in Proverbs 26, 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What that verse is telling us, and by the way, Proverbs is a great verse for just sound bites on living life. He's, he's saying there, answer a fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool in the way that he's directing the question. If the intent is all wrong, sometimes you're better to step back. Don't put the pearl before the swine is another way of phrasing it. But if you have that dialogue, and that's what he has here. He has a dialogue. How do you know? You don't want to be in a contentious, knockdown, drag out, shouting match. God is not honored in that. Now, we talked about this in Faithful Life this morning. We saw the Apostle Paul in that situation. Sometimes we saw him in Areopagus. We saw him defending uh, uh, apologetics. He was uh, in hostile environments, sharing the word of God. But we also saw other times where he was gentle and quiet. It's discernment. That's why you need to be walking with him. But sharing nonetheless. But don't answer a fool the way that they're asking the question, if it's argumentative and the intent is not inquisitive or a seeker, you probably need to step back. The blind man, the healed blind man, answered in a way that exposed their folly and their intent. So verse 27, he, there is some, a little bit of sarcasm here, but he's asking the question that kind of exposes them in a way where it's out there for all to see. Look in verse 28. Verse 28 reads, Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, 
but we are Moses' disciples. Oh, that should end it right there. That should just end the argument. They're, they're Moses' disciples, and you're following this Jesus that nobody really knows much about. Do you want to be his disciple? They answer, we are Moses. When you have no case, you, you accuse the plaintiff. You start making it personal. There's another time to know when to step back from a conversation, when it becomes personal. And that's what they're doing here. They're blaming and abusing the plaintiff, the one who was blind and now healed. That's what they do. They accuse this man of being Jesus' disciple as if that was the worst thing possible. They claim Moses as if that were the greatest thing possible. By the way, it's one thing to say you're a disciple. It's another to demonstrate it. That's a great question. We uh, pewed, uh, 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 worked on that in, in Faithful Life. How do you demonstrate the gospel message? How do you demonstrate it? We see that they did that in uh, Acts chapter 17, that they were demonstrating. How do you do that? Here's a, here's, this is free information. Keep your finger there and John, go to Galatians 5. Go to Galatians 5. This is the best way to demonstrate the gospel message. If you are in Christ, say amen. amen. This is you. You're getting ready to be seen in Scripture. If you are in Christ, you turn from sin, you turn from self, you turn to him by faith. He takes up residence. Watch what he and the Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's a list of nine fruit of the Spirit right here. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's the best way to demonstrate the gospel message. It's lived out before it's heard sometimes. It's lived out. You ever heard the saying, sometimes you're the only Bible people will ever read, right? So there is, a, and the best example I can think of, of how to demonstrate these things. Signs of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Back in John chapter 9, we Look at the, uh, well, let's look at verse 29. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. God spoke to Moses. We know that this happened. We would agree with that. Amen? Where did he first speak to him at? In the desert, burning bush. Remember that? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Um, and, man, I love telling this story. This, this is a side note story. Carla and I was out on a staff at a church in Missouri, and this girl, our neighbor, Carla, led her to the Lord, teenage girl. Gave her heart, all in. Gave her whole life to Jesus Christ. Middle schooler, wants to sing in a choir, and the choir was big, and they wore robes, and it was a big choir. And her first time up there, she walked up barefooted. And my goodness, you should have seen the people like, why is she barefooted? That girl don't have any shoes on. Even the choir's going, how come you have any shoes on? What's up with that? It kind of came to all of us like, why don't you wear shoes? And we said, hey, Kathleen, it's awesome that you're in the choir. But I'm curious, how come you didn't have any shoes on? She said, I thought I was on holy ground. That's powerful. 
How come they had their shoes on? How come everybody else had them on? Would be her thinking. Oh, man, so powerful. Moses first, they're right. God did talk to Moses. And then he wrote him a note on, on, on some tablets. By the way, Brad, front and back of the tablets. Me and Brad had that debate. When you write paper, you only write on one side, then you go to another paper. Brad says you have to do front and back of the same paper because that's how the Ten Commandments were written. So he made it, he made it, he won that argument on the sentence. But verse 29, it says, we know that God spoke to Moses. They were right, but Moses spoke of Jesus. Look in John chapter 5. Go back a couple chapters. John chapter 5, verse 46. Gotcha, gotcha again. John 5, 46, Jesus is speaking here. This is um, after, uh, well, after another healing. But John 5, 40, uh, 46 says, For if you believe Moses, which they claim they did in chapter 9, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote about me. You think, Pastor, is that true? Did, did Moses really write about Jesus? Well, Jesus said he did, and then I went and looked. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, we see exactly that. Moses wrote about Jesus Christ. So they're saying, we're all in for Moses, and Jesus in chapter 5 says, good, then you should be believing in me. And here they are again, chapter 9, saying, hey, we, we, we're Moses, we're his disciples, that God spoke to him, well, see it all the way through, keep coming. What they didn't realize was that a greater than Moses was Jesus. Moses never healed a blind man from birth. Now you may think, well, hang on. I know a little bit of my Bible here. Moses did a lot of things. I mean, God did a lot of miraculous things through Moses. Like a lot. How does that stack with Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus did so many things miraculous things that you couldn't even, there's not enough books to contain them. So just, be, just because they're not recorded, right, don't elevate Moses higher than Jesus Christ. Ever. Ever. It's not even comparable. And by the way, while I'm on it, don't put Paul on this super high pedestal. It's not the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Paul. It doesn't work like that. He was a man, a fallen chief of sinners man. And I know a lot of pastors that really elevate Paul as a super giant spiritual, what we should be like. No, we're to be like Christ. Come on, somebody shake that up. We should be like Christ, not other people. Get me all worked up here. Verse 29, the tail end of that says, For we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Proofs. And testimony from the man and his parents, they went for nothing. They'd already answered a lot of their questions. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And applied by, an omnipotent pow by the omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not about the proofs that we can prove uh, all these things, ultimately, it's about the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, Why is this a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from? 
yet he has opened my eyes, exclamation mark. More sarcasm, holy sarcasm. Paraphrasing, you men are the rulers in Israel. You are the teachers of God. And yet here is a man who has the power to give sight, claiming to be God, and you don't know him. Who's blind now? He was right there. God reveals, revealed to babes in Christ what was hidden to the self-proclaimed wise. He's hidden these things. They are wise, but in their own, own conceit. Listen to this quote. It's by Arthur Pink. Nothing shuts out divine illumination so effectively as prejudice and pride. This is the way we've always done it. It's just, what, what, if, what if right now, this is a what-if question, we had zero traditions, none, in churches, even this one. We had zero traditions, and we, we only had the Bible, and we started fresh. What would it look like? That's an interesting food for thought, isn't it? We always need to be questioning, why do we do what we do? Because we've always done it that way? Why do we do what we do? What if there were no traditions? Because what happens to traditions? It can cause us to become prideful and prejudiced and narrow-minded. Let's just go by the word. I'm going to have them put on a screen 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. You can look on your Bible, on your device. That's fine, too. But 1 Corinthians 8, 2 says, If anyone thinks that he knows anything... He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. All truth is God's truth. This information, we, we get caught up in the idolatry of academics, the idolatry of intelligence to where we elevate ourselves sometimes as the smartest person in the room, including God. Verse 31 of chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 31 says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners. By the way, is that true? That's a tricky question. Careful. Is it true? He, uh, this man saying it. A man, uh, uh, now we know <clears throat> that God does not hear sinners. Well, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that he heard the prayer of Ishmael in Genesis 21. He heard the prayer of Israel in Exodus 2. And he heard a prayer of Manasseh in 2 Chronicles. But keeping this verse in context, the Pharisees said that Jesus was the sinner. Go back to verse 24. Look at verse 20, well, the very end of verse 24. We know this man is a sinner. So why would God hear from a sinner? <clears throat> They're wrong on two accounts. He wasn't a sinner. If Christ could have Christ would have sinned, then he wouldn't have been God. That's the deity. I know that's a, a churchy word, deity, but it's vitally important to how you live your life as it relates to your walk with him. It's vitally important. The Pharisees said that he was a sinner in verse 24. This was one of their pet doctrines. So if Christ is an imposter... As they had said, how or why would God assist or allow this miracle? Mic drop. He just mic dropped him right there. Why would God allow this? Why would God be a part of this, of what Jesus Christ is doing? 
Well, verse 32 and verse 33, as it starts to, part of it comes to a conclusion. There's more coming. Verse 32 says, since the world began, it, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the bl- eyes of, a blind, of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This healed man has now went from a humble beggar to a follower to a, a preacher, and he's turning out to be a pretty good theologian, all within, just like, like that. Verse 32 and 33, this man is a one of one. That's a rare find. I've, uh, I love these shows. Sometimes you'll do, uh, anybody watch the antique uh, traveling show? Yeah, I'm watching the age of the hands that go up here. The antique traveling show. I hate to admit it, but I like it. It's great to fall asleep to. It, it puts me out. Everything's so calm and relaxing. But when they find a one of one, I've watched car shows where they find a barn find and there's a, a, a Dodge Charger in there. It's a certain color. It's a one of one. That's rare. I know a guy right now in Claremont County that has a car that's one of one. I love I love telling that story. If you want to hear it, I'll be glad to tell you. It was a 72 Cyclone, 429. The first born blind man now healed, Moses never did that. If Jesus wasn't from God or God, he couldn't either. Here's the application for us today, and then we'll read verse 34, because 34 speaks for itself. Watch this application for today. Look at this man's faith grow in real time, real fast. How does your faith grow? Does your faith, did it, did it grow real fast? You're like, well, it just takes time, and I just keep trusting, and I'm growing more and more. There's part of that's in there, but not for this guy. First, in verse 11, go back to verse 11. Chapter 9, verse 11. Look at, look at this man's faith, how it has grown. First, he called him a man called Jesus. That's his first time he mentions him. He answered and said, a man called Jesus. You see that? It's just an impersonal, just a guy. Just some, I know a guy type of thing. The second time, he calls him a prophet. Look in verse 17. They said to the a blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a... Prophet. Say prophet. And third, in verse 33, look what he says. Now, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's calling him a man of God. Look at how that faith just leapfrog. Boom, boom, boom. Application to everybody listening is this right here. This man walked with the light he had before him from God, and more was given. This man took the next step of faith by the light that was in front of him, by by the light that was given from God, the light that was given from the Holy Spirit, the light that was given from Christ, he took the next step and more was given. Then he took the next step and more was given. Be faithful with the light you have. Last verse is verse 34. They answered and said to him, 
you're completely born in sins, and you are teaching us. And they cast him out. Well, that came full circle, didn't it? They cast him out. Speaks for itself. There's really nothing more to add to that. The application for us today is simply follow Christ. Sincerely follow Christ. That's it. Simply, sincerely follow Christ. We'll help you get there. Cross Point Baptist Church will help you get there. Let's bow for prayer. As we have a time of, of, of prayer, personal application is what I like to call this right here. We have a time of personal application. I pray that you would do any business with God that you may need to do. We're going to have a, a song, a time for uh, you to come forward. We call this an altar. It's a time where you can pray and maybe even bring somebody with you. We would encourage that. We encourage conversations, dialogue about life and the things of God. Lord, bless our time together right now as we take this time to be even more well-pleasing to you. I pray that your, your light just shines and move. Be powerful, Holy Spirit. Your omnipotent power to convert and change lives is real. It's been experienced in this room. And we pray for you once again to do what only you can do even now. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as Andrew leads us in a song of invitation? You're welcome to come.
your heads and just pray silently. As we conclude this morning, I'm grateful for a time of prayer where we can come together like this and even a personal time of prayer. Thank you for Andrew for that extra moment there. Very, very well. Very good. I wanted to share just a couple things. Uh, one, um, I wasn't planned, but uh, Maureen, I'm going to throw it out to the whole church. If you have Christian books that you would like to donate. We have a place that is uh, is need of Christian books. We have some here that we're going to be able to donate, but we're going to ask you to bring them in, books you uh, maybe have already read and you're looking to, um, uh, you want to, it's how do you get rid of a good book? You know, you want to find a good home, bring it here. And um, we have, uh, we'll see if we can't find, fill a void there. Um, I may have opened the floodgates there, but um, we, we encourage that because um, we want this uh, good Christian books to move forward. It's for a library, for a place through Maureen. And also, I did want to share this by way of a prayer request. And I know your hearts, many have been asking <clears throat> about Charles Jones. Uh, I shared uh, what I could on Wednesday here at church. Um, you know, Charles is a very special man. He's a very special member of our church, and I know he's near and dear to your hearts. Uh, but be in prayer for him. He is at uh, Anderson Hospice on Five Mile uh, with his family. Um, he, he needs us to come alongside of him the way that uh, he so faithfully has prayed for us. And um, I only share that information now because um, he, he asked me to share it only in part as of last week, but um, many are asking, and, and you need to know. So be in prayer for, for Charles Jones, uh, uh, his smile and his encouragement is contagious, amen? amen? Make sure that you lift him with that same energy back in prayer to our Heavenly Father, okay? Church, you are dismissed. Speak.